You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We're going through a series on Ephesians together. If you got your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. But, um, man, there's a lot of people in here. That's awesome. It's really good to see this many folks here. We should count. One, two. <laughs> Let's spend the next few minutes just counting. Uh, it is neat, though. It's fun to see y'all. Um, all right. So, all right, we're talking about Ephesians. And, and the tools we're learning, and th- this is so important stuff, all right, because the tools we're learning in Ephesians are going to be tools that you can carry with you across all the rest of Paul's letters. And Paul has a lot of letters. He gets a lot of, um, a lot of uh, space in the New Testament. And so he's somebody we should probably listen to, right? And the tools we're learning as we go through this series are tools that won't just help you understand Paul. They'll help you understand the New Testament. And so my, my hope is, I was talking to a buddy of mine back there earlier, and we were talking about why... You know, lately I've been doing more like Bible study than topical stuff. And the reason is this, and I like topical stuff, and I'll come back to some of that. But if you learn to read the Bible, then you kind of can figure out the topical stuff on your own, right? And so my hope and what, I, what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do all this year with Genesis and John and now Ephesians and then after that, Revelation. What I'm trying to do, I say it like that because it's mysterious, right? Right? What I'm trying to do is, is, is maybe give you some tools so that you can read the Bible on your own, so that you don't just have to, to listen to me talk about it, and you can figure some of it out yourself. So, All right, so today we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And so l- l- let's get a big picture here, because I'm not going to read this whole chapter. The big picture is we have two paragraphs, where Paul basically reminds uh, y'all, or you, and by the way, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Yes, it's really starting to work. We're catching on. <laughs> So, so there's two groups, right, that follow. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Uh, most of us are Gentiles, I'm guessing, and so that means non-Jews. And so Paul is talking, and basically the point of chapter 2, the big picture is that y'all Gentiles um, were dead before you knew Christ. I think we like to think, like, before I knew Christ, maybe I was broken, maybe I was confused, maybe I was lost, maybe I was wounded. The message of Ephesians is, no, you weren't. You were dead. Apart from Christ, you're not slightly confused. You're not slightly off course. You're not a little mess. You are dead. You are a zombie. You are the walking dead apart from Christ. And that's what the message of Ephesians chapter 2 is. Matter of fact, Ephesians 2 8. For it is by grace, I bet some of you know this in my memory, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so, so leave that up there for a second. Some people have take, created this narrative that basically says Jesus died and everyone goes to heaven. But Paul sort of makes it sound like there's initiation and there is a response. And both those things need to happen. Like Christ initiated grace with you, and you must respond by placing faith in him. And for everyone who does that, you will have life. You'll be saved. And then the fact that it says saved makes me think he means saved from something. And typically you're not saved from something good, right? I mean, I bought that lottery ticket and saved you from winning, right? I mean... Doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you're typically saved from something bad. And so what Paul is saying here is, uh, by grace and and your acceptance and reception of that, you are saved from a situation that would have been terrible. So that's sort of the big picture of chapter 2. But let's, there's two things. There's two things I want us to come away with today. It's a two-point message. And so the two things that I want to come away with today, I think will help you again read the entire rest of the New Testament. So let's jump into the first one here. Ephesians 2.8, or excuse me, Ephesians 
As for y'all, Gentiles, raise your hand if he's talking to you right now. We are getting really good at this, guys. I love this. As for y'all Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions of sin, which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler and the authority of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, I, I just want to show you some words in this one. We see the word ruler, and in some translations you'll see authority, some translations you'll see the word power. We're going to see this language a lot in Ephesians. And Paul's going to talk about rulers and authorities and powers. And when he talks about this, what do you think of? Just This is a word association. When he says powers, what do you think of? When he's talking about negative things. Yeah, we think of like Satan or demonic stuff and stuff like that sometimes, I think. So, but, and I'm not downing any of those things because I think those are real things. But I'm not sure that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. But let's keep reading. Because he mentions this, this concept of, of power in Ephesians 1.21. It says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Okay, so there's power, authority, dominion. Let's check out Ephesians chapter 3, which we'll go into detail next week. This is Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, that's us, we are the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the head. There's that word again, rulers, authorities, powers, and something about the church, something about the fact that this mystery has been revealed, that, that there is no Jew or Greek, that we're all one now. There is no slave or free. We're all one. There is no male or female. We're all one. Something about this divine mystery actually demonstrates wisdom to the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this world. All right, if you grew up in church, you're going to know this next one. This is Ephesians 6, 12. Tell me if you've heard this one. For our struggle. Anyone heard this one if you grew up in church? If you didn't, man, you're about to hear it for the first time. That's exciting. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against other people, other humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, keep that one up there. See, I've always read like, our authority, you know, our struggle is against rulers and powers and authorities. I always thought that was talking about like demons, like maybe winged creatures or something, right? But then right after he says authorities, powers, and rulers, he says, and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so I, th I think if, if we want to make rulers and authorities and powers into this, you know, like little winged being or whatever, I think it really denies what Paul is trying to communicate here. I think Paul is trying to tell us something about these rulers and authorities and powers that is more than we've ever really thought about before. Colossians 2.13. This is another Paul letter. When you, y'all, were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's clearly talking to Gentiles now, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Guys, y'all seeing a trend here? He uses this language a lot. And I think for me, maybe for you, we're used to just kind of reading through something and not really thinking about what the words mean or we attach meaning to it. It means whatever we want it to mean. But the Bible doesn't get to mean whatever we want it to mean. It means what the guy who wrote this particular part wanted it to mean, right? 
And so I, I think he's trying to tell us something about these rulers and powers and authorities. And remember, what was Paul's agenda for writing this? It's in Ephesians 3.6. This mystery is that through the Gospels, Gentiles, us, are now heirs with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. Okay, we're going somewhere with this stuff, guys. So that was Paul's, Paul's agenda, was that this mystery of, of unity would be made known. And, but he's talking all the time about these authorities and powers that would come against us. We talked about this a little last week. When Paul comes up with his religious words, his religious language, where does he get them from? And if you know the answer, just shout it out. Let me give you a hint, because that was just awful. Let me give you all a hint. <laughs> it rhymes with bold smesmament. Okay, now let me ask again. Where does Paul get his religious words? <laughs> we got it. Good job. Good job, guys. Paul gets his understanding of religious words from the Old Testament. And so that, that's where Paul draws this. And so Paul's story of the Old Testament is a story where, where God creates a world, and then God does what? He delegates authority to other things to rule. Go back to the Genesis story. When God creates the sun, he says, rule over the day, right? He's delegated authority to this power. He's, now there's a ruler in him. Now, God's still in charge. God's running the show, but he has some managers who are managing things as rulers. And when God creates the moon, he says, rule over the night. When God creates humanity, he says, subdue the earth, rule over the earth. So God creates these people and these things and these systems, and he says, all right, I want you to rule, authority, ruler, and power. And so that goes pretty good for about, what, a page or two? How do people do ruling the earth? Measurable. We fail. And so God has created these good things, governments, uh, systems, people, even the sun. The sun is a beautiful thing, but can't the sun even kind of become an agent of division because there are people in the world who worship the sun? When God told the sun to rule, do you think he ever wanted people to worship the sun or the moon? We have people who worship stars. They read horoscopes and they align their life by the sun. That, all of these things. Good things created by God, sun, moon, stars, people. When they fall into human hands, they often get a little janky. And so I think when, God talk, when Paul talks about these powers and authorities and rulers, I think what he's talking about is people and systems and things that though they might have started good, they have become agents of division in the church. And I, th I, th I think you can see this in Deuteronomy. In other words, that when he talks about powers and authorities and rulers, he's talking about those things that would divide the church. And here's the catch. If we're willing to see powers and authorities as something other than a little winged being, then we actually have to deal with how we've allowed powers and authorities to divide the church. So, so let me ask you guys, could politics divide a church? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, can, can political figures become idols? Yeah, I should preach a series on that. Oh, I did. Um, I mean, like, can, can, can money, money's not bad. Money's great. Money, money, money. Money's not bad. Can money become an agent of division in the church? Hey, races, man, we got a world with all different color people. How beautiful is that? That's a gorgeous thing. But can race become division in the church? You're looking at the most divided part of society right now. The most segregated part of society is the church. 
Can gender become a division in the church? Can denominations become a division in the church? And I got no de- knock on denominations. That we're not non-denominational. We're multi-denominational. We're made up of all sorts of denominations. There's like 60% of y'all are Baptists. We're made up of all sorts of denominations in here, right? We're not non-denominational. Denominations are good. But all of these things, people and powers and institutions and authorities and denominations and stuff and money. and As I was writing this, it was easier when I just thought these things were winged demons. And I'm not knocking those things. I think those are real, but I don't think this is what Paul's talking about here. But it was easier when that's what I thought it was because then I didn't have to take any ownership of my part in this problem. I'd rather just blame the demon. Oh, the demon made me post that on Facebook. <laughs> right? Come on. Come on. I mean, I, I think we can see what Paul is doing here. That there's these things in the world. I, guys, I even had to, I even had to go back and, and like repent on some jokes I've told which is not what I like to do because I like jokes. And so, like, I had to, like, and you know, through my life, there's been prejudices in me and bigotries in me and all these things that have contributed to division in the church. It's not a winged demon. That's me allowing things to divide God's church. And I'm willing to bet at some point, if you really search your soul, you can see where you've allowed politics or something similar, maybe your passionate platform to divide you from other people in God's church, hadn't you? There's only two categories of people right now, those who are honest about it and those who, who have not yet understood that they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> We've all allowed it to happen, guys, right? And so, but, but listen, in verse 15, he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So somehow Jesus on the cross with his life and his death and his resurrection, he creates this new humanity that allows us to rise above the powers. So what we have to get is we are not controlled by the divisive powers. We have power over them. The, the things that divide the church, guys, we, we don't just have to follow them like, uh, okay, you know, I'm this guy, I'm not this guy, I'm this stand up. We have power over the powers that want to divide. As a matter of fact, we can take all these things captive and somehow use them for the glory of God. That's the power we have. Should we decide to use it? But in order to decide to use it, we must agree that unity is a high priority in the church. I think that's what Paul's saying here. So that, that's the first thing. Is, so as you read chapter 2, think about what powers have infected your thinking and your willingness to be united inside of God's church. Here's, here's the second thing. This one I'm, I'm super excited about. Ephesians 2.4. But because of his great love for us, that's all, that's all of us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not a gift from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's good, man. That's so good to me. All right, so, so Paul talks about grace, 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 grace. 
And I think we've heard grace a lot in, in our community. And, and, but I think let's go back and not, not attach our meaning to the word grace. What does Paul mean when he says grace? Okay, the word grace means gift. That's what it means. And Paul's like, the word grace means gift. And in our world, uh, let's say Brody over there. Brody's about, you're going to college in nine days, aren't you? Give it up to Brody guy. He's a good guy. He's a good buddy of mine. Good arms, like smart, just a solid guy. I like that. Good, good arms. Though. And so, so let's say I was to give Brody a gift, okay? In our understanding of gift, the highest value would be for me to give Brody a gift and expect nothing in return, right? If I was to give Brody a gift and I was just to go, here, Brody, here's a gift. And then I was to stand there and go. <laughs> Wouldn't we kind of be like, okay, that's suspect, right? I mean, you give somebody a gift and then you just, right? But so in our, in, our, in our understanding of the word gift, because we have an understanding of that word, we have a core understanding of gift. If I'm to give you something, I should expect nothing in return because that's the righteous way to give a gift. We have core understandings of words. Uh, we have core understanding of the word like babysitting, right? We have a core understanding of that in our society. If I'm watching your child, your assumption is that at the end of the night, I'm going to return the child, right? <laughs> we have a core understanding of house sitting, right? If you're gone for the weekend, I'm house sitting. The same, Alan, I'm house sitting at your house. You come home, and I'm like, all right, boss, I'm just going to go get back in your bed here. Glad you're home. And I refuse, I mean, wouldn't that make, we have a core understanding of the word house-sitting. We have a core understanding of the word gift, but so did Paul. And in Paul's society, at that place in that time, it would have been unheard of to give someone a gift with no expectation of return. As a matter of fact, in his society at that time, gifts were given for the purpose of establishing a reciprocal relationship with someone. I will give you a gift for the purpose of building this relationship. Now, grace is free. There is nothing you can do to earn it. It is a gift from God. But if we don't realize there's some expectation associated with it, then we make grace cheap. And I think what we're going to see from Paul here is that was never the intent of the word. Matter of fact, in verse 10, we just saw, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. I mean, like to do things which God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't get grace because of my good works. I get grace so that I will do good works. Watch this one in 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is another letter from Paul. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the Things done, not things believed. Now, the, the belief matters because if you don't believe the right thing, you're not going to do the right thing. But, but for the things done, like we're going to stand in front of Christ one day, and we're not just going to be judged for, for what's in our heart. We're going to be judged for what we did. Like, this matters. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me, listen to this, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. All right, so he said, I received grace, and the grace had an effect on me. Like the grace changed me. And because I had the grace, I worked harder than anyone. 
I didn't work harder to get the grace. I worked harder because I had the grace. And grace transformed me and grace changed me. And if you have grace in your life and there's no evidence of transformation and change, and there's no evidence of, of loving God and loving people, and there's no evidence of the sin in your life bothering you, then you are in direct conflict with everything Paul's saying about grace. And one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And I, I tend to go with the guy who got his name in the book here. Right? I mean, it's, it's so clear to me and it just, that grace is not just this cheap thing that God just goes, bah, here, here, now do whatever you want. Paul believed grace was so overwhelmingly beautiful, and it was a gift he could not earn and a gift he could not pay for, that his only response was to offer the giver his very life. And that's the response to grace. Now, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's conditions on you receiving grace. You put your faith in Christ and you receive grace. But for those who have received grace, your life should look different, shouldn't it? I mean, there's got to be some change in our lives. Matter of fact, in Philippians 1, it says, this is Philippians 1, 6. This is another Paul letter. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Like this work began in me and a work should continue through me. And I think it's fair to say that Paul knows that we will struggle. We will struggle because we're humans. We will all struggle and we will battle with sin. Paul at one other place, he's like, man, I want to do what I should do, but inside of me I want to do what I shouldn't do. Like we struggle with sin. Struggling with sin is not evidence that you have not received grace. Struggling with sin is evidence that you have received grace. You've become aware of it. Philippians 2, 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to what? What does it say? Work. Work it out. Right? I could do the whole thing. Walk it out. Walk it out. I will, America. <laughs> no? Okay. I mean, like, walk it out. Work it out. I, th I think we thought we were a one-stop shop for the receiving of grace, and it just ends with us, right? Like, God gave it to me. It's mine. I'm not using it. It's mine. I'm just holding on to it. Grace that comes from God moves through you and flows from you into the world. Is it, it's, not just, it's not just God's something he gave you so you could be you. It's something he gave you so that you could become the person he designed you to be. Like, you know, I'm, I've got grace, I can do whatever I want. I've got grace, I've got freedom in Christ. I've got grace, I don't have to obey this, this I can do it. No, no, that's not it. Grace transforms you. And, and if you're not struggling with a little bit of that, guys, here's what I would challenge you to do. Spend some time this week in prayer. Spend some time this week just, just with God alone and say, God, if I've received your grace, what has it done in my life? Spend some time this week thinking about how powers and that politics and your political passion and, and, and race and gender and money. Spend some time this week asking God, have I allowed these things to divide me from God's people? And as you're having these conversations with God, remember this. The whole time you're talking to him, you are receiving grace. Forgiveness to try again. Forgiveness to be empowered to move again. But grace, grace should transform us so that we become instruments of transformation in the world. So this week, guys, read chapter 2. Struggle with this. Meditate with it. Repent if you need to. Uh, but believe that through grace, you have power 
over the powers that want to divide God's church. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.